Yo, what's up? Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I appreciate it. I'm happy that you're here and listening. Uh, you may be the only one listening, but uh, thanks anyway. Um, today is the uh, actually the first podcast that I ever recorded. It was kind of, well, without the act, no, actually, I did a couple before that, but this was the first one that I kind of took seriously and tried to do a good job. It's because um, I had a proper real guest coming up and I needed to do a, a, a recording. And so my dad was the only guy available. And he's an interesting guy. He's a fascinating guy, in fact. And uh, he's got a, a quite a f- number of good stories. But um, I hope you'll forgive the sort of. Uh, Perhaps uh, slightly beginner style that I have to, in this one, I'm a little bit uh, self-conscious about it, and so I was a bit wary about putting it up just because I was aware that it was a kind of a practice one. But um, I, I also uh, know that my, my my dad wants it to get it up there, and I think my mother's person really does want to get it up there. So it's definitely going to go up there. I'm sorry if it's not perfect. I perhaps it gives you an insight into. Um, myself if you care and uh, what's going on with us here um i do hope you enjoy it and um, as if you have any queries or you want to get in touch with me it's ben at systemisrig.com that's my email it's on the website and please don't hesitate to do that if you have any criticisms or if you hate the podcast or if you like the podcast or whatever it is you want to say um Again, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy it today. And what I'm going to do today, actually, which I haven't done in the other podcasts, so you're in for a real treat here. I'm going to play my intro music, because I like my intro music. It was a wild Argentinian guy who recorded it for me, and he wanted, he loves playing guitar. I think he wanted to, he would have had a 10-minute guitar solo if he could, but I said, you know, keep it keep it a little bit shorter than that, which I think he's, he did a good job. I think, In fact, I think he did a great job. So, yeah, I've got the day off today. I'm chilling with a hot cup of tea. And trying not to get too stressed with, uh, what is it, Premiere Pro, Adobe Premiere Pro, which I used to edit, edit this stuff. So I hope you enjoy it again, and uh, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. shed in Send in Surrey. We've got a bottle of East Coast IPA to get us kicked off. Cheers. Uh, now, we're lucky that uh, we can have this conversation, actually, because you, you, not too long ago, you had very serious heart surgery. You had, was it five, five bypass or four bypass? I uh, think the max you can have is five. Yeah, it was, it was uh, four. Four plus one uh, where we routed he did something else in there, but uh, yeah. So, so, so that how did that wh- how did that make you feel when when that happened? What you found out about that, and how do you how that must have been terribly um, frightening for you during that whole period? And you know, it's it's obviously a big surgery. How wh- how did that sort of what was going well, through your mind before you went into that surgery? Well, to be honest, it uh, it certainly came as a surprise that there was. Uh, well, I guess it didn't. Uh, my I had been having some chest pains, I, I thought maybe there's something not quite right, but then once I realized after a series of tests with the National Health Service, which was wonderful, and, and they uh, diagnosed it, then uh, became aware that, uh, that I needed the surgery. It wasn't like it was cancer or something like that. They, yeah. I, I don't mean to trivialize it or anything, but I thought this is something they've done before. They've diagnosed it. They know what they're doing, oh. and I'd had it for years, and yeah. so I didn't feel it was uh, imminently uh, uh, no. going to take my life. So in other words, you were pretty brave about it. You no, didn't I wouldn't just say brave. Brave yeah. is the wrong word. Yeah. I just, uh, I mean, had it happened, because uh, it's only in my lifetime they did this uh, mm. surgery. They did it with uh, the Dr. Barnard down in South Africa. You know? right. And that was, I remember when that happened. Mm. Uh, and uh, that was a big deal. I didn't think too much about it at the time, never thinking that uh, mm. <laughs> a few yeah. years later it was going to be me. But they've done so many of them. Now. That was in the and '70s, or I think it was. Yeah. I think it might have been even before that. So they, they've they've done quite a few. Of them. But to make a long story short, I didn't feel as 
as worried as perhaps you might think, uh, knowing mm -hmm. that the, the heart was, uh, I'm, I'm sure I've had it for a long time that the heart was, was mm -hmm. bad. So uh, I, I'm glad now that I know that it was there and they fixed it. So, Well, yeah, it's amazing what they can do. And I know when you were going in for that, there was, um, you know, you mentioned that it was like a well-oiled machine, the way they were kind of getting two or three guys in there with this expert surgeon and doing the job. And then these guys are coming out two, three days later, like, you know, good as new, basically. Well, which is kind of what happened with you, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I think for me, because they uh, they came in and saw me the night before, and they did give you they, that was when I, I guess it did give me a bit of a scare. Mm. When he did say to me then that some people don't leave that table, but I didn't think it would be me. Uh, I never yeah. thought for a moment it would be me. I I, I just uh, was glad to get it over with. It wasn't a very pleasant uh, experience in, in truth. But just to get it over with and sort of having a new lease on life is good. But it hasn't changed anything about me, except I thought maybe I should lose some weight. Right, so you, <laughs> did you... Well, look, we could all... Everyone, I think there are not many people who wouldn't say that. But um, in terms of your outlook and things, did you, you did change much from the time before you found out you had that and, and, and afterwards did it? Did you feel like, you know, or were you just like... No. <laughs> you just cracked open another bottle of red when you got back. And well, kind of. Got yeah. on with it. I don't think I really. I don't think it's changed too much. Yeah. Maybe it should have, uh, but it hasn't. Uh, so, it's uh, no. It it, it 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 hasn't changed me now. Okay. Um, sorry, I keep jumping up. I'm just checking the levels because this is the first podcast in this in the series here. Um, with my so I thought it'd be a good one to do with my dad. So hence why I'm just we've got this Zoom Q8, which is meant to be built for podcasters because it's got that kind of uh, effect where you can get everyone in. Um, How do you zoom it? Do you have a remote on it? No, you don't. And it's, not, it's funnily enough, it doesn't actually zoom. It does have some way that you can zoom, but I don't know, it's, I don't know how to do it yet. Um, so, okay. So, you, so, so, so obviously that was quite a scary time. What now we're here in the UK, you're obviously American born in Rhode Island. Um, what was what was that like? What you, we don't hear, we kind of every day we kind of talk about current events and what what it, and sort of things that have been happening to us in the recent past. But you obviously had a very different life growing up in Rhode Island on the east coast of the U.S. back in the fifties. You know what was that? What was that like for you? Was it a big difference? Do you think from the way kids here in Surrey grow up, age ten to fifteen? Yeah, I'm sure it was. To, to, be, uh, to be honest, I'm sure it was. But, I mean, at, at the heart of it, I guess, there's still basic things that are going on with a young kid growing up. You know, there's uh, you're maturing and uh, you're starting to uh, uh, engage with your education, with sports, with um, the opposite sex. And those problems, I think, are continued today. But I guess they're addressed in different ways today. So uh, I always uh, played a lot of sport. I was involved in that. And uh, it was, uh, but I guess interactions with other people mm. were different then because now you have all this social media and yeah. So we, I I don't know, and also uh, without being sexual mores, we're much more restrained in those days. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have Tinder then. <laughs> no, no, and rules were more clearly defined, uh, and so uh, I think it's better now. Yeah. than it was when I was a kid, but I didn't have any real yeah. real problems, but it was... Uh... Well, I mean, speaking of those those kind of things, obviously it was very strict. Um, the schooling, especially in the Catholic schools, from what I understand, the brother, the Christian brothers, and I mean, that must have been a world of difference when they were allowed to enact corporal punishment and... Um, yeah, well, it was, it was different. There, there's no question about that. But in some ways, I never that never really bothered me either. Even though I took my share of wax, uh, but the, and it wasn't just the Christian brothers; it was the nuns before that. I had sisters of the Immaculate Conception for the first uh, eight years, uh, and uh, they were there, there was violence. So they would wax. So how would that work then? Would they? Would you um, just get out of line and suddenly get feel feel them slapping you or what? Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> of times you'd see them coming, but you didn't okay. always see them coming. They right. might be coming from the back of the room. Gosh. And you thought they weren't in there. But most of the time, but not always, most of the time you had it coming, but a lot of times you didn't. And also there was, uh, the, the downside of it was that they had uh, free reign. You know? And I remember there were kids in my high school that a brother would take a dislike to 
and he would really uh, there, there was wow. uh, take and you you could it might not be every time we met in class, but it would be quite often. And he'd take him to the back of the room and really beat him up. Jeez. And uh, it was the so that was punching or yeah yeah it'd be close fist right. wow uh, and uh, it wasn't uh, I don't know we just kind of it was just the way of life it was yeah. the way it was it wasn't like something you, you say hey don't do that although you may have felt like doing that mm. but it was uh, they had they were just supreme authority in that classroom and would that kid have done something or the teacher would just go okay I'm going to give you a hiding before the class even starts <laughs> that could have been but a lot of times I think they just Jeez. didn't like the kid in the first place and they he may he wouldn't have been the brightest kid in the class uh, you know he would have should've. well that's even most, more tragic it, it isn't is. it? it is indeed so I, on the other hand you know, uh, the, the, yes, uh, uh, it's it's good that uh, this uh, physical punishment is gone. But nowadays, I, I think the kids, uh, sometimes you think, Jesus, that kid needs a good whack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yes. but it was easier to give out whacks in those days. It was more kind of accepted. You just yeah. figured, oh, everybody got a whack. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, it wasn't a big deal. And you, you just thought, oh, I had a few in my day. And, uh, yeah. Give a few out. Well, well, let's face it. For the past however many thousand years, humans have been. <laughs> and if you look at in the savannah and look at lion cubs, you know, every once in a while they're playing. Then suddenly there's a growling and a bite, you know. And yeah. you know that wasn't like. <laughs> yeah. They, they, the, the cubs knew about it. And it's, so it's a quite normal and natural world. And it's been quite normal in the human world as well until the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. Yeah. So that's. But that's interesting that these. It was a particularly violent, by the sounds of it, at your school and perhaps all across no, America. No, no, I wouldn't say it was particularly no? okay. violent. Because uh, I got a good education. But average across America, would you say? the way? Well, the way I don't know how it worked in the public schools because I was always in the Catholic schools. So I don't know whether they were uh, allowed to hit. But I do know that once you put your kid in a Catholic school... That uh, brother yeah. had the license to uh, beat you wow. up, and you never okay. went home and told your mother you get beat up or your father, mm. because you get beat up again. You know, you, uh, most likely you, you, if you went home and said, uh, <laughs> "All right," so they said, "Right, you got to beat him." What did you? Why was that for? <laughs> yeah, they just assumed if you went home and you said, "Jesus, I got an awful whack today," <laughs> you so get you another one. Yourself, so yeah. you generally just kept. You could You weren't going for sympathy. The sympathy vote because no, no, it wasn't coming. No, yeah. that wouldn't be coming. It wouldn't be forthcoming at all. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but it, it was as it, it did serve a certain role uh, because yeah. uh, some of these guys who were known for that, you could hear a pin drop in the class when they were on their uh, wow. Yeah, there, there'd be no. And I guess around. that that was the objective. They wanted to be they wanted it to be known. Look, if I'm if I'm in this room, you're going to behave. No one's going to say Jack because I'm here. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's the way it was. And there were other yeah. lax teachers. On the other hand. Where as soon as they turned their back, everybody would be shooting spitballs across the room and doing whatever they chose. Okay. So. Uh, and I guess it kind of set the rules as well. If you know those are the penalties, perhaps it's a different paradigm for a kid anyway. Because inst- nowadays, if a kid did something, anything, and a kid and a teacher punched him, there would be shock and awe and crying and all the rest of it. Whereas if you know that's the penalty and you know those are the the boundaries within which you're working. I guess it sets a different paradigm in terms of you then know you're going to get beat. And when and then and at the same time when there's no one when that person you know that that new teacher is not going to hit you, you also know that's free that's free time now yeah. to behave badly perhaps. Maybe the way to look at it is is that there's a different way of discipline now than there was mm. then. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, we've moved on, and we've stopped corporal punishment. Uh, <laughs> so we've moved on onto other types of punishment, and I think also kids are more focused mm-hmm. in, in school these days. Yeah. I think like uh, well, that's because of all the Adderall they're taking. I <laughs> <laughs> could be. I could be. No, I, you're I, right. They are. They're more focused. Perhaps I wonder why that. Do you really think that's the case, though? Because I think when we think back and, and you see these pictures of kids in school in the 50s and particularly 40s and 50s you kind of think mm, wow they were they weren't you know misbehaving they were focusing yeah well Whereas these days you watch something like fame or whatever I'm showing my age but some show like whatever it is and the kids are throwing spitballs and throwing cups and you know. no I, th- I think that uh, kids were more focused well all i can speak of really is for myself and my class and the kids i grew up with yeah and i know for myself i, I always did really well at school Mm. So it was, but it was accidental. It wasn't. Uh, I didn't work very hard at it. So um, you were kind of naturally capable of. 
I was, a lot of the, yeah, and I did well on tests, and I, I was mm. good at math and English, and I liked to read, and I didn't mind the math. But really, in truth, like the other stuff, like history, we all cheated on the history. Okay. And, uh, and uh, the way it worked was the, the teacher, the history teacher, he gave out the same quiz all the time. So whoever got it first in the morning came out and gave it to you in the afternoon. And, uh, oh, wow. Okay. And so we all had it, and we all, we all had That's, the answers. It's well, funny they never cottoned on to that. Yeah. Well, he, he was a lazy guy. He was a right. lazy, lazy guy. And uh, there were other courses where I didn't bother to uh, study, whereas kids mm. nowadays, had I studied, yeah. I might have done better. Well, <laughs> but, you did. I mean, you did. You did really well. Well, but but well, but it was but, like I say, it was accidental. Yeah. Was, but I, the I, other point is, um, you know, today these days, there's almost more cheating than ever before. I remember having classes where they'd say, um, you know, this is plagiarism, and plagiarism means you looked in the encyclopedia and then you took the details and you wrote it into your essay. Nowadays, that's happening yeah, all over. Yeah. People are going, that's actually the assignment. So James had an assignment, my son, for uh, Roald Dahl, and he's basically told to go onto Wikipedia, you know, and take the information and re- obviously re-change it around, but um, it obviously shows, again, how times have changed in terms of the way information is distributed and gathered and can then be repackaged. And yeah, it's a whole different world out there. Yeah. It is. And it is more competitive. Uh, for, I think kids can see the, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but they they can see that a edu- good education is going to lead to it. Whereas when we were growing up, there wasn't like mm. that at all. It's just, uh, we sort of just went to school. And uh, mm. there wasn't uh, uh, this huge focus on yeah. Maybe maybe in different communities there were, but not not at my. But house. I wonder if that also was something to do with the, the your neighborhood and your you weren't yeah. growing up in Manhattan on you know the posh part of London or the you you were in a, don't get me wrong you're in a beautiful right. part of the world but you weren't probably in a place where they were saying right you need to be a fund manager or a CEO or you need to be a MP, member of parliament in going to one of the best schools whereas. Uh, perhaps that's right too. Yeah. That, that is true uh, because I, I do know that once I got to university, that uh, I, uh, I wouldn't say a majority, but uh, a, a lot of the kids there were of Jewish uh, right. <laughs> background. Okay. Now, and yeah. uh, you can say what you want about a Jewish mother and a Jewish environment, but yeah. uh, there were an awful lot of them at pre-med, and they said they're <laughs> competitive, they're, they're driven, driven. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and they were also. Uh, like Indians and Chinese, there yeah. A lot of those. Oh gosh, well those are. Well, that's interesting that they were back then because I, th- I think every generation thinks everything that they're facing is a new phenomenon. Like I tend to think, I think a lot of people, and a lot of well, there's a, there's an element of a lot of these Indians and Chinese coming into schools now. So I thought that was new, but you say that was the case when you went to. It wasn't when, I, but this was yeah. This was there wasn't probably not as many there then at the time, mm. but this was. I remember I was at... Uh, because at, let's... T- sorry to interrupt you, but can you tell us... Obviously, you did very well then at school. You got a um, senator... Was it a senator or a congressman choice to go to West Point? To uh, Annapolis. The Annapolis, Navy, Navy okay. Academy. So, obviously, you performed so well. The Christian Brothers beating beating your asses <laughs> at the school. Then you got did really well on the SAT or whatever test it was. They... they, they the Two picks from the state to go to Annapolis. So, tell us how that happened with... with well, again, it was just kind of a uh, an aptitude test, which everybody takes. Uh-huh. Now, if you're interested in going to one of these schools, one of these uh, military academies, which I wasn't, but my cousin Al mm. was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he okay. Yeah. So he had me take the tests. And uh, so I, I, uh, I did do well on tests. So uh, it was just like spatial awareness uh-huh. and reading and uh, math. They were, they were all... Right. Uh, so you did like probably geography, trigonometry, all that stuff, algebra. So, and yeah, you know the. the yeah. The, the so is it like an SAT type thing? Right. So anyway, the then so, what happened? The Senate. Well, I scored wasn't well it as some that. senior politician or something? Had to, you know how these stories get spun out of control? But I thought there were only two people from the state that were chosen each year or something like that. Well, I'm trying to remember. Each senator, well, there's two senators from every state. They had, uh, they could send one. And to each academy, and maybe there was uh, the same for each representative. And the representative was dependent on the number of the House representatives. Mm. There were so many representatives for each state, and I think they could send one. Wow, so that was a big, for your family, that must have been a big privilege. You got that 
it, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a nice thing to have. So then, what happened? They sent you down there, or, or? Uh, well, my my yeah my. Uh, See, this is <laughs> to clarify. This is just to check out the school. Yeah, or, yeah, because we had received a telegram, which we had. I don't think we, my family, would ever gotten a telegram before. But there was a telegram from uh, the senator, the state senator, saying that I was supposed to report down there at a certain day and time. Uh, in it must have been in. Uh, uh, there was no summer. If you went to one of these schools, so it was shortly after you got out of high school, you didn't even have time for the summer. You just went straight down there. Wow. So um, when we received it, my mother sent me down there. Uh, my mother and father sent me down there on an airplane. And was there a discussion before that about because just to clarify as well for pe- anyone that doesn't know what it is, Annapolis is the, the naval Navy. academy. Yeah. For officers, right? So it means if you go there, you become an officer. It's like Dartmouth in the UK, I think. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. and then, but you're committed to stay with them for a number of years afterwards. So you have to stay for six years afterwards. So, but they prefer you stay there for the rest of your life. But uh, okay. it was going to be. Uh, uh, so it's a great honor you got selected by this. So, so they said, right, go and check it out. So you went down there. Well, I mean, down there, and it happened to be coincidentally there was a friend of mine who was down there who I who had gone a few years before. And uh, he was what was called the anchor man, or he, or he was vying for that position. And the what na- at this sc- at at, th- at the Annapolis? And uh, as the name implies, the anchor man was the man who was at the bottom of the uh, of, of the of, of the merit list. And so he wasn't doing particularly well. Oh, so well. he was in the bad books. Okay, he was kind of in the bad books. But he said to me when I got there, I saw him briefly. He said, "If there's any, if you can get your parents to spring for any other place to go to." Don't come here," he said. "It's hell." <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, so, so you had this great privilege, and then you <laughs> do you want another? We've got a couple beers here, by the way. I wouldn't say no. Um, where's the? Have you got a bottle opener kicking around? I do. Is it? Is the red knife there or? Oh, here we go. So we got. So okay, so we'll re- we'll continue the rest of that story in a minute. <laughs> We've got chocolate and orange stout. This is a black sheep. Velvety orange stout made by Black Sheep Brewery, or we've got Jesus, sorry, Jesus Juice, Elvis Juice, which is a brew dog punk. This is a brew dog, you know. The I've had, I've had this. This is good. Do you want to try that? Sure, though? sure. Okay. Let's go with that. Well, let's go with sh- cherry saison. <laughs> well, we can come to that next. Yeah. Um, this stuff is great, actually. It's six and a half percent, though. So I'll let you. Uh, right. So you. So you. Um, so you went down there and your buddy basically said, get the hell out of here. What are you doing here? Get back up to Rhode Island. Yeah, he did. And, and, and that must have been tough, though, because it was obviously a great honor and you're, you're feeling the, you know, the good vibes and everything. And everyone's going, wow, Bob got this great, you know, commendation. And then you're so well, it was quite a place. It was simply beautiful. It was on Chesapeake Bay. And it was, uh, I guess it was a bit south of Washington, D.C. And it was just a beautiful place. And uh, the, uh, I had a little tour around, they showed me, and the uniforms were all very nice if, you, if you're into uniforms. Right. But you have to think now, this was the 60s. And, yeah. Uh, but the, Time of freedom and rebellion. Yeah, and, and, and this was everything, when you went to somebody's room there, every bit of clothing they had was uh, folded and in uh, exactly the same spot. That was from their their skivvies through to their shirts and uh, their bed was immaculately made. Uh, uh, Okay, so it's one of those where the 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 senior commander, sorry, naval people, if I've got that wrong, but they bounce a penny or whatever it is off the deck and off the mattress and you've got to have everything perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So... It wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. So, so you said. Uh, so what happened when you told them no? No, you're not doing this. Well, they moved on they, okay. because there's a list of uh, people who want to do this. Right. And so they've got a list. The first guy. I was actually the second guy uh, because okay. the first guy was uh, he was in my class at, at, in high school. He's a very smart kid, but he had no. Um, he he was disqualified for athletic reasons. Now he, what about okay. And what about, so fine, what about the wrestling that you did? You did a lot of wrestling, and I remember seeing you competing at a pretty high level. Um, well, I don't know about that. Well, you were doing uh, state, you were at state, 
tell us how that was because that's quite interesting. Doing the Greco, it was Greco. What would you? How would you describe that? Because here in the UK, it's hard for people to understand wrestling. They think WWEF and WWE and all that kind of stuff. What kind of wrestling were you doing? Well, I'm not sure what they uh, what they call it. There was a certain type of Greco Roman wrestling or something. Uh, like that. No, there was, uh, there was another name for it. Not quite. The, but Greco-Roman was one, uh, but it was the same type Just of thing they do in the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, all very controlled. It was uh, there was uh, it was different than this stuff that's on television. It was uh, there was three two-minute periods, and uh, the first period was uh, you, you stood up, two guys and they, they mm. spoke, both guys standing, and you got points for takedowns or, uh, for taking the other guy down. Well, well, sorry to I'll let you keep going in a sec because it's interesting, but. The, I think it is actually the same as what they do in the U.S. now at the universities oh, and the it colleges. Is, yeah. And a lot of the MMA fighters or UFC fighters, they come from that discipline. So they might be a great uh, wrestler at, at university. And then they some of them go through, like Uriah Faber, I think, is one of them. And some of these guys who are brilliant wrestlers go on to UFC. So I think it is not something that's to- totally foreign to Americans these days, but it probably is for people outside of the U.S. Oh, that could be. But, that or, could be. Yeah, that that could be because there, really there was no no future outside of if you uh, if if you wrestled, it wasn't like football or basketball. Uh, yeah. you know where you, where you could if you're really really good. Mm-hmm. Although very few people went on, uh, you could get into the NFL or the the NFL or if you're in ice hockey, you get into the mm-hmm. the NHL. There was nothing that when, when uh, you didn't. It wasn't as you graduated from uh, wrestling that you'd move on to. Uh, so how did it work? You had two. Th- you said you were saying there were two periods. Three periods. Okay. And then in the in the, the first period, you you were both standing up. Yeah. And uh, you had to uh, whoever took the other guy down and gained control of him got two points. So it wasn't. Then, you didn't have to get his shoulders down or anything. You just had to have control, no, no, like just, side control. Just control. Yeah. And then uh, then. In the, the the next period, one of the guys you'd flip a coin. One guy would be down, the other guy up. And when you were down, you'd start out on you. Uh, one guy would be on his, his hands, yeah. hands and knees, and the other guy would be holding holding right, on. Right, right, yeah. And then you got points for a reversal. Okay. So if you reverse the guy, you, you got a couple points. Uh-huh. And then on the other hand, if you're controlling the guy and you got a near pin, you got a few points. And then if you got a pin, you yeah. Uh, uh, and pinning him would be getting his shoulders. Yeah, down? I'm holding it okay. for. Uh, I think it'd be a, a stop count of uh, three. One, okay. two, three, and then you bang the mat. That was the end of that. So, okay, so, but you, but and, I, go ahead, sorry. No, but it was, uh, it was all, it was all very good. But again, it had to be very, very fit. It was six minutes, uh, six very difficult minutes, I'll oh. tell you. It, 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 oh, I bet it was, yeah. Like it. Well. Uh, doesn't sound like much, but it was, uh, you'd yeah. really be knackered by the time you were done with it. I was in the best mm. shape of my life when I was doing it. Um, I, I seem to recall you had to cut weight sometimes, and so they would get you in a sauna or something and try uh, to... That yeah, must have been a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Because <laughs> uh, at football, when I was playing football, it, the, the football season ended, and then uh, you go straight into the wrestling season. And so the wrestling season, depending on what weight you are, you had to lose weight. And I remember going down, I, I, was, I weighed about 210, 210 pounds in football, and I had to go down to 167 to wrestle. Uh, Damn! So you had to lose That's a lot a of weight. That's a hell of a lot of weight. It is a hell of a lot of weight, and it, but it depends because a lot of it, it was depending on who was in different weight groups, whether or not you're going to, because you wanted to wrestle. So you were two ten so, for the American football as a as a linebacker, was it? As a uh, lineman. Uh, okay, and then you went down to one six seven for the yeah. wrestling. But that was Jeez. only one year. The other year I went, I, I wrestled one seven seven, and then one year I wrestled heavyweight. But uh, oh, right. I was very light for the heavies, okay. Uh, because I, I lost weight naturally uh, anyway when I was uh, wrestling, so I'd be about mm. one eighty five, one ninety wrestling. But the heavyweights were well over two hundred. Many of them they're, they're very big, but uh, they weren't as mobile as I was. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, but I guess that year when you went from two ten, you were probably pretty powerful to go down to 167 because I guess your muscle mass would have been pretty you would have been pretty uh, good shape to go down to that level but anyway that's that's interesting I don't know I was always hungry I'll tell you that always hungry and, uh, didn't the guy have a golf club or something and whacked you with that guys with that yes sometime? again it was, uh, the day, there was a lot of whacking the day, and hitting the, there was there was a lot of violence <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it from the teachers yeah yeah so yeah he used to uh, every night when you went home there was a uh, 
you, you would have lost quite a bit of weight. You weighed in, you weighed out every day. And uh, when you left, um, they'd make a note of it, and they you could generally come in, I think, about two pounds over where you left because you would have sweated through the whole uh, thing. So you would have been uh, through the whole training session, so you would have been quite low. Uh, and then they'd weigh in again. Now, if you weighed in and you were um, like three or four pounds over, you got a whack. Jeez. And then, uh, but so it wasn't not that it was bad enough to just ha- that you were cutting weight and be feeling awful, probably because you didn't eat. You also get actually hit with a golf club. <laughs> it wasn't. A, uh, it was a fishing rod. But I'll <laughs> okay, tell you, not, not that it made that much difference. But bloody hell, it right. So, do you think all this now <laughs> helps you to? I know, I know, you don't, you don't go, you didn't go to church from when we were younger. You don't go now. Do you think this all this might have had an effect on you and just thought, well? Sought all that, or was there anything that made you think I'm not a you know religion? I'm not really interested, or I don't really have a spiritual um, belief. Or do you, or sorry, I'm putting your words in your mouth, but well, I just didn't believe in it. I just didn't. Uh, too many things, uh, far far too many things, that made me feel that the uh, Catholic Church was not uh, not the answer, and uh, they didn't provide any real answers to uh, an awful lot of questions. And uh, so I wasn't sure. Initially, I wasn't even sure. I wasn't sure whether it was maybe uh, Catholicism versus, say, Judaism or Buddhism or something mm-hmm. like that. Whether one of these may have provided an answer, or whether none of them provided the answer. At the end of the day, I kind of thought none of them provided the mm-hmm. answer, although I didn't explore the others all that much. Yeah. But uh, so, okay. And then later on, the the church, you know, although it, it's made, it's just. Catholic Church in and of itself made so many claims which uh, it, were, it did not fulfill the infallibility of the Pope and yeah. then all the abuse that occurred I, yeah. I just couldn't stop that no, of course. I, I, I don't mind but, but that came later didn't it you it weren't aware later. of that, that by that time, point yeah. Uh, yeah no I mean it's totally understandable um, I was just wondering if, if there was something that put you off particularly those brothers beating your you guys up it must have made no, you think no it never bothered these guys me. think they <laughs> are not telling us to go and be good in the church and no, behave it never bothered me I didn't I didn't mind getting beat up so right the next the next exciting thing that happened to you guys you you obviously moved over to Africa what did what, what why did that what how did that come about and what um, how did you feel going into that being a, kind of from a relatively small town and then you were all of a sudden in the middle. Of, and tell us about when you moved to Africa. Well, I got out of university, and I uh, messed around at university. I hadn't worked very hard, I'll tell you that. And uh, my results showed it. I hadn't done very well. I hadn't even graduated. And what so, from from university? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So because uh, you start at the beginning, though, you went to University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, right? yeah. And I did engineering there, but. Um, I got through by the skin of my teeth through my first four years, but I would have had to return. So most of my friends were actually graduating, but in the meantime, I decided I was going to do something. So I knew the Peace Corps was around, and I thought it would be a good thing to do. So um, I took a leave of absence from Penn and uh, joined the Peace Corps, and it was the the best thing I ever really did. But it it was just, I think, an opportunity to sort of change my my ways. And so when I came back, I... uh, and they were good. They kept me on uh, until I came back. Mm. I, I stayed in contact with them. And then uh, I did very well when I came back. I did well in my freshman year when I was keen. Yeah. keen. When you came back from Africa? No, my first year. When I first went to university, I, I did mm. well my first year. But then I, other things... Well, you t- t- it gave you an opportunity to grow up. Because let's face it, a lot of people, when they're 18, 19, 20, yeah, you're not grown up. And people are saying, right, you have to decide this. Or that, or whatever it is, you need to know what you want to be. You want to be a doctor, or you want to be a dentist, or you want to be a whatever football player. And I think that's very hard for kids. And there's something that they're coming out with these days about you know your brain. It's not fully developed at that age. Actually, it takes really? a long. Yeah, it's apparently in your prefrontal cortex. It's not developed till you're. So people can't make the right decisions necessarily. Yeah. And. I know that was the case for me as well, and they're expect they're asking people to make these decisions even younger than that in terms of what they want to do. So yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think it's very very difficult, and I I did know I wanted to be an engineer because I'd always been good at math, and uh, mm. so I think perhaps I, I would have had I had I done it again, I would have stayed and done engineering or something like that. I think it's a. Uh, 
um, the more I look back on it. But but, but when day, you came, so so okay, we're skipping over the African bit. But when you came back, you did engineering again? No. Yeah, I had to, well, I had to finish the engineering oh. degree because I'd been uh, I did the civil engineering degree, and then uh, I had an option at that point whether to go to business school or go to uh, right. uh, uh, engineering. Um, okay. Uh, for a uh, master's degree. Right. So I thought about doing both, and I ended up going to the business so, school. Okay, but then so all of a sudden you're out in the middle of a- Africa in Kenya, and you're with Maasai warriors and all this. I mean, what that you must have had some adventures out there. So how was that? How was that experience? What? Well, it was good, but it wasn't really that adventurous. It was uh, we were put on uh, on a, a farm that had been recently uh, handed over to a whole. It was like a settlement mm. for, for Africans. And um, each African got a few acres, and it had been previously the white settlements. It was called the White Highlands. Mm-hmm. So they were all. So set- this is in like 1971 through se- 70 through 74. Mm. So all these um, Africans had little farms. I called them shambas, uh, but they had no water on them. So uh, they had to. Uh, the women had to carry the water up from the river. And it was very unsanitary because the cows would be going in and everybody would be going out. They didn't really have a proper place for. Them. Uh, a waste, uh, either human waste or uh, animal waste, and uh, they had to, so the water was contaminated, and so they were trying to farm. Of course, they were trying to farm. They needed to feed the cattle. They needed to grow things. So this was a scheme that was created to to bring water to every one of these shambas. So it was very rewarding. It was. Mm. Uh, I I did quite enjoy doing it. I wasn't very good at it because, of course, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> so, well, you had, they probably said, this guy's an engineer from University of Pennsylvania, guys. Oh, wow, okay, he's going to be the new boss. He's going to be the new skipper. And you got there. <laughs> oh, jeez, right. Well, it was unfortunately, it wasn't a very difficult job. All it was was uh, digging a hole and putting a pipe in it. But didn't you say you came across some snakes? Like, you were digging these holes and there would be snakes, snake uh, there'd be, nests yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, there'd be snakes. There were, there were snakes. Uh, Cobras or something, and they were stoned. They were puff adders, mostly. Be, but there'd be others. There'd be uh, yeah. the puff adders were the biggest ones. And they were about as big as uh, big as your arm, about Jeez. as fat. But those, they, when they wrap against each other, they make like a clicking sound. The skin is like the scales, kind of. Do they? Well, adders, I know that some puff adders do. Yeah. Well, they were. Uh, you had to be careful about things like that. You did. Yeah, and so did what us. about these mass? I mean, what do they think? All these white people here, like hanging out, and you've got these warriors. These people have been there for th- for thousands of years, and who are kind of totally different value system, totally different um, objectives. They're kind of happy if they've been out and, like, killed an enemy and then come back and with a lion's, you know. Yeah. So, so how did you get on with the... Did you actually integrate with that? I wouldn't say integrate, but did you intermingle with them and did you... I wouldn't say we intermingled no. with them, no, because uh, we did do... Uh, in my uh, last, last year there, I worked in a very remote area putting in... Um, there had been a borehole drilled there previously and we put in a... Uh, a pump and a uh, storage station, big tank, and a uh, distribution center on top of it, all very centralized, but it was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, there was a, a tribe there, I think they were called the Pocot, and they, they were, uh, I remember them, we, we brought the people we needed and all the materials we needed up there with us. It wasn't a very big crew, maybe um, 10 of us, uh, a mason and a, a pipe fitter and uh, a couple of laborers. But these fellows would come over these pokot, and they, it looks like they'd um, they'd be hard. They uh, they look there'd be flies on them, and they'd be. Wow. Uh, so were they <laughs> kind of like the subservient to the Maasai? Because oh, no, I know there's the Maasai, a lot of different. They were like the they were like okay. the Maasai, the, the, this crowd, but they lived in a different area. Right, the Maasai had a, di- a certain area they lived in and controlled these pokot lived uh, north of there, and uh, they had their own space, and uh, they, uh, it was their, their domain. They were, they, but they were, they were, uh, we, but we but never when you spoke say they had them, flies they, on them and stuff, what do you well, mean, they, they, were, they sounded like, what, they were just dirty, like, guys they, yeah, that they just, were just tough. Well, all the guys who worked for they me. They were more primal, you mean? Does that I wouldn't mean? say primal. But these guys who pitched up and worked for me, they were more westernized. Okay. Because they were like it would be a pipe fitter and a mason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that. And they also spoke English to some extent, whereas these Pocot guys didn't. And we, we also, the new lingua franca for uh, Kenya was uh, Swahili. So most people okay. spoke some Swahili. You could generally make right. do with some Swahili. Yeah. But uh, these boys, uh, they didn't even speak Swahili. They, they'd pitch uh, up. And... Uh, 
they just wander in and, and it'd be like uh, but but just so I understand were they working for you no 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 okay no they were the local residents so the message from them might have been we're here if you want to challenge us bring it on was it like that no or? no 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 okay. it wasn't wouldn't be aggressive at all nothing like that no they just passed by they'd have sheep they were sheep herders so they'd uh, pitch up, and uh, or they'd be passing by, so they'd come to see what was going on. Right. So there might be a uh, a, uh, a man, a woman, and uh, maybe one or two kids, mm-hmm. and uh, or they all of a sudden they just appear, uh, or sometimes, and, and then they'd wander on. And would they ask for anything from you? Like, do you have water, or do you have anything like that? Oh, or? we did have water. Or they were totally course, self-sufficient. They were self-sufficient, though. Yeah. They wouldn't be asking us. But it, uh, it they was, were probably thinking, if these guys are out here for forty-eight more hours, we're going to come back and feed them to the lions, okay? <laughs> because they won't see that water's going to run out pretty quick. But the nicest part about living out there really was, uh, it was real uh, wilderness territory. Yeah. Like, uh, and if you're closer into Nairobi and other areas, if you wanted to see animals, you went to a game park because generally mm. the animals were confined to a game park although the game parks were big you go to, uh, but so even though there was probably hunting happening do you mind if I switch this off no so even though there was hunting happening probably if you put it on silent or whatever um, there was there were probably a lot of legal hunting whereas nowadays the hunting is much more controlled I would guess but in the early 70s if you do this this thing then I can put it on silent otherwise. um they, so you go to the game park if you wanted to see the animals, like Kruger, for example, that everyone, many people know in South Africa. I think, I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. So otherwise, you you guys were were in a place where it wasn't a park, so the animals were roaming wild. Yeah, yeah. it was really interesting because you'd be you could actually, uh, as you were driving into work, you, you could look over and you might see a cheetah. Uh, there weren't that many of them because a lot of them had been killed and also it wasn't a very lush environment. It was yeah. a very uh, sparse environment out there, you know, which also mm-hmm. added to the uh, the mystery when these pokots would pitch up and you'd wonder... So you'd be like, oh, I can't see anything for miles. Why did anyone want to be here? And all of a sudden they're like tapping you on the shoulder. Yeah. Where do these guys come from? How do they live out here? Yeah, uh, it's like a Mel Brooks film or something. It was. It was crazy. <laughs> Uh, but it was good. It was it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was it was uh, really nice to uh, to do something. To I'm not sure how much value we really added. We felt we did add value. And so, what was the vibe in that place? I mean, you guys that must have been a weird pocket of of Western um, civilization there in, in Kenya. I mean, you've got like um, you you got a lot of. The, I guess it was in a run up for Vietnam, or Vietnam was already happening. You guys are. There, it's there. You also got the movement of the sort of rebellious revolutionary movement of the the kind of seventies or late sixties, early seventies. So was that something that was encapsulated at, by to some extent in what you guys were you feeling, or were you guys just like let's be well clear of all of that and just do our um, thing? Here? No, it was it was a kind of an extenuation of what was going on back in America. I, uh, although we were quite separated from communication, more than was it is now. But um, like a lot of these guys, everybody smoked marijuana. Uh, yeah. Some more than others. All, all these. You know, right. Was, so I that was quite normal. The, just and I guess that stuff was growing in the in the bush out there in Kenya. Anyway, it was. You could get it. Where the local. I'll get you. Here you go. There's a, this is the next one. It's called a cherry saison. It's a four and a half percent tartan tangy brewed in York, Yorkshire. I thought it might have been of French origin, but clearly not. <laughs> I mean, it must have been pretty idyllic. I mean, and but also quite bizarre for someone from Rhode Island, beautiful as it is in Rhode Island, to be um, in the middle of Kenya, age 21, 22. I guess that's how old you were. Would that be right? Yeah. And you're building and working with Maasai warriors and... I guess that probably was exactly what the doctor ordered when you were feeling pretty frustrated in that first year at university, not properly grown up. Suddenly you're in the middle of Africa or Kenya, you know, trying to make your way. That must have been a very... um, Well, it was. It was very different. Very different. Emboldening for you, I guess. It was. It was a long way, but but it was really... I found it very exciting. 
it, it was uh, really good for me to go there and uh, do that and uh, build, yeah. build things and uh, get to know other people and everything. It was it was great. Uh, so the I weed, the, they were growing this weed. How was how did you get it? You grew it yourself, or people got the it, Africans or you sold had it? Certain tribes oh. uh, used it uh, uh, with more regularity than other tribes. Okay, there was a tribe uh, out in. Uh, but Kasuma. this must have been a new thing, though. Was it? Did because where did the stuff start? Was, didn't it start in? Uh, everyone thinks it starts in Jamaica. Did it start uh, in Jamaica and then these tribes, or did you guys introduce it? This probably explains yeah. a lot. No. <laughs> so yeah, you guys went there. Oh. You got these tribes that are doing a great job for thousands of years, and suddenly it's all going awry. Maybe it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know why they had it out there, but certainly they did. I'll okay. tell you that there was no question about it. Um, it was there. And right. It was there in abundance. And so, were any of okay? And right. So okay, fine. <clears throat> but you had a motorbike out there as well, didn't you? Yeah, I had two. I had two. Uh, I had one I bought from uh, from some friends. I had another one that was an old government issue uh, uh, bike, but it was again it was different. It didn't go very fast, but it went fast enough. And did you go to the beach? I mean, it must have been a beautiful place to go. It did was. you go to the beaches? And is it Zanzibar? You got off the coast of Kenya? Is that Zanzibar? Uh, am I right? It's uh, further south. Okay. That's off the coast of Tanzania. But there right. was. Uh, uh, there, there Did were, you manage to get away and get time off from the Peace Corps to go and do those kind of things? Yeah, yeah, you could yeah. do them. You could do them. You could do them. But uh, we didn't go into the beach periodically. We, uh, I mean, why do you need the beach? You're in an amazing place where you can see wildlife. Did you have any run-ins with the wildlife in terms of the lions or, or pythons or anything like that? No, nothing that really uh, was life-threatening. But, uh, it was, uh, but you would be careful. You would be careful. But it was good. It was a, a, a great environment to be in. The, the people were, were lovely. They would rob you if they could, and they did. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the animals were all very good. They were great to see and be around. And they were, they did, uh, there was a certain element of danger associated with it. And the work was good. So on every level, it was, See, yeah. uh, it was a good thing to be doing. Well, it was probably a learning experience as well as in terms of you got to be the leader. You were also learning new applied methods. Yeah. of. Because I think one thing that people miss a lot in the education system is it's one thing telling someone, this is how you do engineering or this is how you do an LBO if you're into finance or whatever it is. It, but it doesn't actually mean anything to a kid who doesn't have a mortgage, who doesn't know about... Yeah. this stuff who doesn't have any ap application for the, any of this stuff whereas when you then learn this is how you make a bridge then you go to Africa and you go oh wow I should have paid attention this is how we're actually making the bridge yeah. that's when for me being a, now 43 um, compared to you know what I w the way I was trying to learn this stuff when I was 18, 19 um, I wish that there was m more of a sense of that applied aspect of it but it sounds like you got that that there um, so then right so uh Cool. So, pretty exciting time. You came back to Brooklyn. What's it like living the Brook living in Brooklyn in the late in the seventies? I mean, because obviously uh, Brooklyn's been, pretty cool now. But what yeah. was it like then? Well, it was a very mixed community. But we, we went to Philadelphia first because I had to finish up in Philadelphia right. because yeah. I was back to university. Then a couple of years of business school, and then the first job I got was in uh, in New York. So uh, we came to uh, we came to Brooklyn. And it was very, uh, people told us not to go there. Really? People were like, just don't go there? Yeah. <laughs> don't go to that area. They said, go to Brooklyn, or go to Park Slope, or go to... Uh, but Park Slope is in Brooklyn, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so... It's a part oh, of... Oh, they Brooklyn. said, if you go to Brooklyn, go to Park Slope. Go to Park Slope. Okay. But we couldn't afford it. Right. And, uh, is so that, by, that's by the river, is that closer to Manhattan, to Brooklyn Bridge, you mean? Uh, no, it's by the park. It's Prospect Park? Prospect Park. Is that right? Is it Prospect Park. Uh, because nowadays, I think the closer you are to the bridge, I think is the smarter area, like um, Brooklyn Heights. Well, Brooklyn Heights was always never mm. went downhill. Brooklyn mm. Heights uh, was always always good because they had a wonderful housing stock mm. and they had wonderful views and mm. they had a fabulous uh, walkway there uh, called the Promenade. The promenade, yeah. And it, that looked out on the Brooklyn. Well, they Bridge. have beautiful. Um, Vict what do you call them? Victorian houses? I don't know, but uh, those brownstones, brownstones. Yeah. yeah. Or Pritz so Pritzi's honor the film, which many people probably won't know, but 
that was filmed in a house right there on the promenade when the when the big godfather is uh, and there are fantastic views obviously across manhattan from yeah yeah no, it, it never went downhill that was always good if anything it's gone up and then there was uh, a few other neighborhoods it was all neighborhood by neighborhood uh which i think maybe it continues to be i don't really know but mm-hmm. we bought this uh this house that was in a place that we advised not to go to so that yeah. was cobble hill wasn't it borum yeah, so hill borum hill part of me yeah but it turned out there were a bunch of other people like ourselves who, who were there, who I guess were warned not to go there, but ended up going there too. And we, uh, cool. in, in truth, we thoroughly enjoyed it there. It was, uh, it was, it was so good. You could walk to work, you could just walk out, walk across the Brooklyn Bridge, and I happened to be working just not too far, maybe uh, a kilometer from the other end of the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, so it was uh, very, very convenient, mm. uh, and. Uh, so how long would it take you, just out of interest, quickly, from Brooklyn to get to your office in Manhattan? Um, half an hour. Okay, wow, that's pretty damn good, actually. Half an hour. Um, and uh, what was it like working on Wall Street back then? I mean, we, we talk about Wall Street a lot, and the kind of the legend was created in those years, in the 70s and 80s. Um, I know, you know, we see on films these big shots who are probably... Might have someone like that might have existed, maybe they didn't, but let's face it, most people were, you know, slogging away, doing their thing, getting paid better than the average American, that's for sure, but, you know, kind of doing their daily slogging, just trying to make ends meet, as everyone is. Um, how was that? What was that like? Was it fun? Was it a nightmare? Was it? It was all right. It was, uh, it was just, uh, we were young. Uh, young family, everybody. It was a sense of camaraderie with people working together, trying to get things done. It was a. It's a very. Uh, the financial industry has always been very dynamic. It's changing all mm. the time. At the time I was there, they were changing. I, I my first job, I was working on stock certificates in operations, right mm. on Wall Street, mm. and uh, it was really stock certificates, putting names on mm. and sending them out, um, and. Uh, Checking and getting them registered. But what company was that? What company were you? Citibank. Okay. Citibank, which exists to this day. Yeah. But it was. Um, well, it's huge. It was right at the end of Wall Street, and uh, but it was the time when everybody was was tied. All the financial, big financial firms were tied to Wall Street because you had to be within a certain physical proximity to the New York Stock Exchange, which mm. was just up the road from us. Mm. And then, uh, as time went on, it changed. A lot of uh, banks moved further uptown. And uh, be, because they didn't have to have everything, and they wanted a better presence. Nobody wanted to work downtown. Everybody wanted to work in midtown. Okay, so that was considered inferior to be downtown. You mean? In yeah, terms it'd be of, sort of like working yeah. even now, working in, yeah. in in the city versus working mm. in the West End. You yeah, know, uh, people would prefer to work in the West End. Everything's yeah. going on there. You know, yeah, all, all the bars are there. Yeah, the shops and everything. And uh, but it's not the place where bankers are. It's yeah. Yeah, and. And the other thing that was going on it was the buildings were were different than they were all petitioned and uh, uh, it was they they just weren't what they yeah. are today you know where everything's open plan people they mm. the whole concept of work has changed uh, so yeah. everything has changed so then you were you worked at as a commodities trader for some time didn't you yeah I did at uh, for J. Aaron right uh, no that was, I, okay. I worked for another little company for a little while doing some interest rate arbitrage. Okay, that's well, that, that was after J. Aaron, actually. No, no, I went from Citibank to J. Aaron, that's right. Okay, so then J. Aaron is interesting because that's where the the CEO of Goldman Sachs, Lloyd Blankfein, Blankfein was kind of, he sort of um, sharpened his teeth there as well. So did you did you remember him, and, did, I, and yeah, what I, was it like there? I knew Lloyd, I knew him. Okay. I knew him, we used to do, because I worked on... Uh, uh, he was a lawyer, uh, and he worked for um, special deals, uh, and uh, they were mostly refining deals. Mm. And uh, I also worked on because I, I did the ops on the refining deals. Mm. So we used to, um, but he'd put together the agreements. Mostly he worked for this guy Barry Klein and okay. Lewis Fox, who were the uh, the commercial traders, mm. and they were different than the. Um, the other traders, the uh, sort, of, sort of the uh, day-to-day, uh, just uh, bullion traders. They, okay. they, what they did is they, they bought uh, 
uh, rough stuff that needed to be refined yeah. and then sold the output. Okay. So there were, uh, but they were very good at it. And he used to write the contracts. Although the contracts, wow. by the end of the time, I could have written the bloody contracts. Right. They were all the same. Yeah, but, but, okay. Interesting. And so, um, now that was a good little company, obviously, because I think it was bought eventually by Goldman Sachs, and that's how Blankfein became the big boss. Then. No, he wasn't. He left. Oh, he, okay. he went somewhere else for a while. Uh, we were all fired. Basically, uh, because everybody, the the company had so it was redundancies when it was taken over. You mean, or shortly yeah. thereafter, because we had a bad year, oh. and uh, they thought they were. It was a time that uh, Philip Brothers merged with Solomon Brothers. Oh. Philip Brothers okay. was similar oh. to uh, J. Aaron. They were a big commodities trading house, mm. and Philip Brothers, I think, actually bought Solomon Brothers, okay. and then it was reversed with Solomon Brothers taking over. But Goldman's bought. Aaron, and then we were okay for the first year, but then we had a crap year. I don't know what happened exactly, but everybody, they, they, it was a production line uh, firing people. Oh, you mean, they, so you were part of Goldman? Part of Goldman I for see, about a right, year, right, right. maybe a year and a half. But that's what normally happens in a takeover, doesn't it? They, they shed staff because there's overlap or whatever. They say, the guy who was doing the job at Goldman says... I'll do that better than Bob, and or better than Lloyd, or whatever. Yeah, it was terrible. So, okay, so, fine. So, so, okay, so you actually knew him then, when oh, you yeah, were there. Yeah. And what was he like that back then? He was then? a nice enough guy. Yeah. You guys just did, you guys were about the same level back yeah, then. Yeah, Okay, interesting. Yeah. Lloyd was, uh, yeah. Because he's had cancer, as you know, and he's now, as you may know, and he's now retire. he's retiring next year, I think, or coming up the end of this year. Um, so... Um, see, I didn't know he had cancer. Yeah, he had he had cancer. I don't know whether it's prostate cancer. I can't remember which one it was. But um, so, and then okay. Uh, now I've got a couple of sort of rounding up questions for you because I don't want to keep you too long. We're outside here, and you know, I'm giving him beer to keep him warm. But right. So, if there was one thing you could teach an 18 year old version of yourself, what would it be? I think uh, avoid any uh, any decisions and uh, you know any major lifestyle decisions, but do take education seriously. It's, uh, well, and, and that's, that's follow your instincts. Okay. You know, uh, don't. Uh, I, I wish the one of the main things I wish uh, I was in a place, uh, University of Pennsylvania, which was a, just an amazing font of information and knowledge. And I didn't take it very seriously, you know. And I, I just uh, horsed around most of the time I was there. And as I look back on it, you know, what a wonderful place to be in some an institution of that nature. But most universities are quite good too. I'm not saying there was just this one, uh, but there was and a very, just a real great environment to to learn. And you know, I, I just feel I kind of wasted it to some extent. Uh, but uh, anyway. Well, I mean, to put you at, at ease there, I would say 95% of people that went to university have the Could same the exact same thing. thing, and I certainly do myself, and I know others do. So, um, should we win, open up the old red Well, wine? hang on, I've got these things you're steady on now. Okay. Okay, so, um, what, do you, what is one of the most worthwhile investments you ever made? Well, housing, of course, it would be impossible not to to say housing. It goes okay. without saying. But it wasn't exactly. I wouldn't say it was something that I was. Uh, I think most things and many things in life are serendipitous. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, I, we bought a house because it was just it was in my DNA to buy a house as soon as I could. So we bought a house in Brooklyn. We made a lot of money on that. We bought a house in London. Made a lot of money on that. We bought a house. Um, Every house we've ever bought, we've made money on, and uh, significant money. So it, it, it was really, uh, but again, was it a good investment? I don't know. The other thing you can say is I bought stocks, but to be honest, stocks have all gone up too. You know, yeah. as the money supply has increased and so much has gone on, if you if you hung in there long enough, you would have made money on that. And I did make money on it. Uh, but I, I think you just have to invest in uh, people. Mm-hmm. Is more important. You know, you're going to get out of what you put into it. So it's uh, important to spend time with your family and your, uh, mm-hmm. that will eventually pay off, hopefully. And final question, have you... They're going to look after you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look after me. Well, it might be the other way around. Um, are there any 
anything you regret or mistakes that you feel like yeah but I don't want to talk about it there's so many fair enough (laughs) and is there anything that happened that was a mistake or or something that went wrong but you think that was great now when you look back in retrospect and say that was lucky that that happened because that helped me to do this or that if not that's also fine it's just a question I don't know they had to have been things but I can't think what they are okay I mean had I uh, thought about it a bit more perhaps I don't know all right. Well, thanks a lot for doing the podcast. That's really okay. good to you. My pleasure. You can come, nice meeting you. come back on the podcast soon <laughs> because I might. I don't have that many guests. So. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll be back soon. Guys, thanks a lot for listening today. Um, if you know of anyone who wants to be on the podcast, or if you have any comments about the podcast, uh, ask them to get in touch with me on Ben at SystemIsRigged.com. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Live.